0: continuing in a treatise of the fear of God by John Bunyan number four this ungodly fear of God shows itself also in this it will not suffer the soul that is governed thereby to trust only to Christ for justification of life but will bend the powers of the soul to trust partly to the works of the law many of the Jews were in the time of Christ and as Apostles possessed with this ungodly fear of God. For they were not as the former, to wit, as the slothful servant, to receive a talent and hide it in the earth in a napkin. But they were an industrious people. They followed after the law of righteousness. They had a zeal of God and of the religion of their fathers. But how then did they come to miscarry? Why, their fear of God was ungodly. It would not suffer them wholly to trust to the righteousness of faith which is the imputed righteousness of Christ. They followed after the law of righteousness, but attained not to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. But what was it that made them join their works of the law with Christ, but their unbelief, whose foundation was ignorance and fear? They were afraid to venture all in one bottom. They thought two strings to one bow would be best, and thus betwixt two stools they came to the ground. And hence to fear and to doubt are put together as being the cause one of another, yea, they are put oft-times the one for the other, thus ungodly fear for unbelief. Be not afraid, only believe. And therefore he that is overruled and carried away with this fear is coupled with the unbeliever that is thrust out from the holy city among the dogs. But the fearful, and unbelievers, and murderers are without, Revelation 21, verse 8. The fear and unbelieving, you see, are put together. For indeed fear, that is, this ungodly fear, is the ground of unbelief, or, if you will, unbelief is the ground of fear, this fear. But I stand not upon nice distinctions." This ungodly fear hath a great hand in keeping of the soul from trusting only to Christ's righteousness for the justification of life. Number 5. This ungodly fear of God is that which will put men upon adding to the revealed will of God their own inventions, and their own performances of them as a means to pacify the anger of God. For the truth is, where this ungodly fear reigneth, there is no end of law and duty. When those that you read of in the book of Kings were destroyed by the lions, because they had set up idolatry in the land of Israel, they sent for a priest from Babylon that might teach them the manner of the god of the land. But behold, when they knew it, being taught it by the priest, yet their fear would not suffer them to be content with that worship only. They feared the Lord, saith the text, and served their own gods, and again, so these nations feared the Lord and served their graven images, Second Kings 17. This was the, this fear also that put the Pharisees upon inventing so many traditions, as the washing of cups and beds and tables and basins with abundance such other like gear. None knows the many dangers that an ungodly fear of God will drive a man into, Mark. Chapter 7. How has it racked and tortured the Papists for hundreds of years together? For what else is the cause but this ungodly fear? And least in the most simple and harmless of them, of their penances, is creeping to the cross, going barefoot on pilgrimage, whipping themselves, wearing of sackcloth, saying so many paternosters, so many ave marias making so many confessions to the priest, giving so much money for pardons and abundance of other the like, but this ungodly fear of God. For could they be brought to believe this doctrine, that Christ was delivered for our offenses, and raised again for our justification, and to apply it by faith with godly boldness to their own souls, this fear would vanish, and so consequently all those things with which they so needlessly and unprofitably afflicted themselves, offend God and grieve his people. Therefore, gentle reader, although my text doth bid that indeed thou shouldest fear God, yet it includeth not, nor accepteth of any fear, no, not of any or every fear of God. For there is, as you see, a fear of God that is ungodly, and that is to be shunned as their sin. Wherefore thy wisdom and thy care should be, to see and prove thy fear to be godly, which shall be the next thing that I shall take in hand. Third. The third thing that I am to speak is to this, that there is a fear of God in the heart of some men that is good and godly, but yet doth not forever abide so. Or you may take it thus, there is a fear of God that is godly, but for a time. In my speaking to and opening of this to you, I shall observe this method. First, I shall show you what this fear is. Second, I shall show by who, show you by whom or what this fear is wrought in the heart. Third, I shall show you what this fear doth in the soul. And fourth, I shall show you when this fear is to have an end. First, for the first, this fear is an effect of sound awakenings by the word of wrath which begetteth in the soul, a sense of its right to eternal damnation. For this fear is not in every sinner. He that is blinded by the devil and that is not able to see that his his state is damnable, he hath not this fear in his heart. But he that is under the powerful workings of the word of wrath, as God's elect are at first conversion, he hath this godly fear in his heart, that is, He fears that that damnation will come upon him, which by the justice of God is due unto him, because he hath broken his holy law. This is the fear that made the three thousand cry out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And that made the jailer cry out, and that with great trembling of souls, or, or trembling of the soul. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Acts chapter 2, verse 16. The method of God is to kill and to make alive, to smite and then to heal. When the commandment came to Paul, sin revived, and he died. And that law which was ordained to life, he found to be unto death. That is, it passed a sentence of death upon him for his sins, and slew his conscience with that sentence. Therefore, from that time that he heard that word, Why persecutest thou me?, which is all one as if he had said why dost thou commit murder he lay under the sentence of condemnation by the law and under this fear of that sentence in his conscience he lay i say under it until that ananias came to him and comforted him and to preach unto him the forgiveness of sin acts chapter 9 the fear therefore that i now or that now i call godly is it is that fear which is properly called the fear of eternal damnation for sin. And this fear, at first awakening, is good and godly, because it ariseth in the soul from a true sense of its very state. Its state by nature is damnable, because it is sinful, and because he is not one that as yet believeth in Christ for remission of sins. He that believeth not shall be damned. He that believeth not is condemned already, and the wrath of God abideth on him. Mark 16 verse 16, John 3 verses 18 and 36. The which, when the sinner at first begins to see, he justly fears it. I say, he fears it justly, and therefore godly, because by this fear he subscribes to the sentence that has gone out against him for sin. Second, by whom or by what is this fear wrought in the heart? To this I shall answer in brief. It is wrought in the heart by the Spirit of God, working there at first as a spirit of bondage, on purpose, to put us in fear. This Paul insinuateth, saying, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, Romans 8 verse 15. He doth not say, Ye have not received the spirit of bondage, for that they had received, and that to put them in fear, which was at their first conversion as by the instances made mention of before it is manifest. All that he says is that they had not received it again, that is, after the Spirit, as a spirit of adoption has come, for then, as a spirit of bondage, it cometh no more. It is then the Spirit of God, even the Holy Ghost, that convinceth us of sin, and so of our damnable state because of sin. John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. For it cannot be that the Spirit of God should convince us of sin, but it must also show us our state to be damnable because of it, especially if it so convinceth us before we believe, and that is the intent of our Lord in that place, of sin, and so of their damnable state by sin, because they believe not on me. Therefore the Spirit of God, when he worketh in the heart as a spirit of bondage, he doeth it by working in us by the law for by the law is the knowledge of sin Romans chapter 3 verse 20 and he in his, in this his working is properly called the spirit of bondage number one because by the law he shows us that indeed we are in bondage to the law the devil and death and damnation for this is our proper state by nature though we see it not until the Spirit of God shall come to reveal this our state of bondage unto our own senses by revealing us our law, our sins by the law. Number two. He is called, in this his working, the spirit of bondage, because he here also holds us, to wit, in this side and sense of our bondage state, so long it is so long as it is meet, we should be so held, which to some of the saints is a longer and to some a shorter time. Paul was held in it three days and three nights. But the jailer and the three thousand, so far as can be gathered, not above an hour. But some in these later times are so held for days and months, if not years. But I say, let the time be longer or shorter, it is the Spirit of God that holdeth him under this yoke. And it is good that a man should be in HIS time held under it, as is that saying of the Lamentation. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Lamentation 3 verse 27 that is at his first awakening so long as seems good to the this Holy Spirit to work in this manner by the law now as I said the sinner at first is by the Spirit of God held in this bondage that is hath such a discovery of his sin and of his damnation for sin made to him and also is held so fast under the sense thereof that it is not in the power of any man nor yet of the very angels in heaven to release him or set him free until the Holy Spirit changeth at this ministration and comes in the sweet and peaceable tidings of salvation by Christ in the gospel to his poor dejected and afflicted conscience third I now come to show you what this fear doth in the soul now although this godly fear is not to last always with us as I shall further show you anon, yet it greatly differs from that which is wholly ungodly of itself, both because of the author and also of the effects of it. Of the author I have told you before, I shall or I now shall tell you what it doeth. Number one, this fear makes a man judge himself for sin and to fall down before God with a broken mind under this judgment. The which is pleasing to God, because the sinner by doing so or by so doing justifies God in his saying and clears him in his judgment Psalm 51 verses 1 through 4 number two as this fear makes a man judge himself and cast himself down at God's foot so it makes him condole and bewail his misery before him which is also well-pleasing in his sight I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself saying Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised, as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, etc. Jeremiah 31, verses 18 and 19. Number three. This fear makes a man lie at God's foot, and puts his mouth in the dust. If so be there, may be hope. This also is well-pleasing to God, because now the sinner is nothing, and in his own eyes less than nothing. As to any good or desert or desert, he sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he hath now this yoke upon him. he putteth his mouth in the dust, if so there may be hope. Lamentations three verses twenty eight and twenty nine number four this fear puts a man upon crying to God for mercy, and in and that in most humble manner, now he sensibly cries, now he dejectedly cries. Now he feels and cries. Now he smarts and cries out, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Luke chapter 18, verse 13. Number five. This fear makes a man that he cannot accept of that for support and succor which others that are destitute thereof will take up and be contented with. This man must be washed by God Himself and cleansed from his sin by God Himself. Psalm 51. Number 6. Therefore this fear goes not away until the Spirit of God doth change his ministration, as to this particular, in leaving off to work now by the law, as afore, and coming to the soul with the sweet word of promise of life and salvation by Jesus Christ. Thus far this fear is godly, that is, until Christ, by the Spirit, in the Gospel, is revealed and made over unto us. I'm no longer thus far this fear is godly, and the reason why it is godly is because the groundwork of it is good. I told you before what this fear is, namely it is the fear of damnation. Now the ground for this fear is good, as is manifest by these particulars. number one the soul feareth damnation and that rightly, because it is in its sins. Number two the soul feareth damnation rightly, because it not, or it hath not faith in Christ, but is at present under the law. Number three, the soul feareth damnation rightly now, because by sin, the law, and for want of faith, the wrath of God abideth on it. But now, although thus far this fear of God is good and godly, yet after Christ, by the Spirit and the word of the gospel, is revealed to us and we made to accept of him as so revealed and offered to us by a true and living faith. This fear, to wit, of damnation, is no longer good, but ungodly. Nor did the Spirit of God ever work it in us again. Now, we do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, that is to say, to fear damnation, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Father, Father, But I would not be mistaken when I say that this fear is no longer godly. I do not mean with reference to the essence and habit of it, for I believe it is the same in the seed which shall afterwards grow up to a higher degree and into a more sweet and gospel current and manner of working. But I mean reference to this act of fearing damnation. I I say it shall never by the Spirit be managed to that work. It shall never bring forth that fruit more and my reasons are. And these are the reasons why the Spirit of God cannot work this ungodly fear. Number one. Because that the soul, by closing through the promise by the Spirit with Jesus Christ, is removed off of that foundation upon which it stood when it justly feared damnation. It hath received now forgiveness of sin. It is now no more under the law, but in Jesus Christ by faith. There is therefore now no condemnation to it, Acts chapter 26 verse 18, Romans chapter 6 verse 14, and chapter 8 verse 1. The groundwork therefore being now taken away, the spirit worketh that fear no more. Number 2. He cannot, after he hath come to the soul as a spirit of adoption, come again as a spirit of bondage to put the soul into his first fear, to wit, a fear of eternal damnation, because he cannot say and unsay, or do and undo. As a spirit of adoption, he told me that my sins were forgiven me, that I was included in the covenant of grace, that God was my Father through Christ, that I was under the promise of salvation, and that this calling and gift of God to me is permanent and without repentance. And do you think that after he hath told me this, and sealed up the truth of it to my precious soul, that he will come to me and tell me that I am yet in my sins, under the curse of the law, and eternal wrath of God? No! No! The word of the gospel is not yea, yea, nay, nay. It is only yea and amen. It is so, as God is true, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 17-20. Number 3. The state, therefore, of the sinner being changed and that, too, by the spirits changing his dispensation, leaving off to be now as a spirit of bondage to put us in fear, and coming to our heart as the spirit of adoption to make us cry, Father, Father, he cannot go back to his first work again. For if so, then he must gratify, yea, and also ratify, that profane and popish doctrine, forgiven today, unforgiven tomorrow, a child of God today, a child of hell tomorrow. But what saith the Scriptures? Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together, and habitation of God through the Spirit Ephesians chapter 2 verses 19 through 22 objection but this is contrary to my experience why Christian what is thy experience why I was at first as you have said possessed with a fear of damnation and so under the power of the spirit of bondage well said and how was it then why after some time of continuance in these fears I had the spirit of adoption sent to me to seal up my soul the forgiveness of sins. And so he did. And was also helped by the same spirit, as you have said, to call God Father, Father. Well said. And what after that? Why, after that, I fell into as great fears as ever I was in before. Answer. All this may be granted, and yet nevertheless what I have said will abide a truth. For I have not said that after the spirit of adoption has come, a Christian shall not again be be in his great fears. For he may have worse than he had at first. But I say that after the spirit of adoption has come, the spirit of bondage, as such, is sent of God no more, to put us into those fears. For, Mark, For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, Let the word be true, whatever thy experience is. Do you not understand me? After the Spirit of God has told me, and also helped me to believe it, that the Lord for Christ's sake hath forgiven mine iniquities, he tells me no more that they are not forgiven. After the Spirit of God has helped me, by Christ, to call God my Father, he tells me no more that the devil is my father. After he hath told me that I am not under the law but under grace, he tells me no more that I am not under grace but under the law and bound over by it for my sins to the wrath and judgment of God. But this is the fear that the spirit, as a spirit of bondage, worketh in the soul at first. Question. Can you give me further reason yet to convict me of the truth of what you say? Answer. Yes. Number one. Because as the Spirit cannot give himself the lie, so he cannot overthrow his own order of working, nor yet contradict that testimony that his servants, by his inspiration, hath given of his order of working with them. But he must do the first, if he saith to us, and that after we have received his own testimony, that we are under grace, that yet we are under sin, the law, and wrath. And he must do the second, if, after he hath gone through the first work on us as a spirit of bondage, to the second as a spirit of adoption, he should overthrow as a spirit of bondage again what before he had built as a spirit of adoption. And the third must therefore needs follow, that is, he overthroweth the testimony of his servants. For they have said that now we receive the spirit of bondage again to fear no more, that is, after that we by the Holy Ghost are enabled to call God Father, Father. Number two, this is evident also because the covenant in which now the soul is interested abideth and is everlasting, not upon the supposition of my obedience, but upon the unchangeable purpose of God and the efficacy of the obedience of Christ, whose blood also hath confirmed it. It is ordered in all things and sure, said David, and this, said he, is all my salvation, Second Samuel 23, verse 5. The covenant, then, is everlasting in itself, being established upon so good a foundation, and therefore standeth in itself everlastingly, bent for the good of them that are involved in it. Hear the tenor of the covenant, and God's attesting of the truth thereof. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind, and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Now if God will do thus unto those that he hath comprised in his everlasting covenant of grace, then he will remember their sins no more, that is, unto condemnation. For so it is that he doeth forget them. or he doth forget them. He does forget them. Then cannot the Holy Ghost, who also is one with the Father and the Son, come to us again, even after we are possessed with these glorious fruits of this covenant, as a spirit of bondage, to put us in fear of damnation. Number three. The Spirit of God, after it has come to me as a spirit of adoption, can come to me no more as a spirit of bondage, to put me in fear, that is, with my first fears, because by that faith that he, even he himself, hath wrought in me, to believe and call God Father, Father, I am united to Christ, and stand no more upon mine own legs, in mine own sins or performances, but in his glorious righteousness before him and before his Father. But he will not cast away a member of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, Nor will he, that the Spirit of God should come as a spirit of bondage, to put him into a grounded fear of damnation, that standeth complete before God in the righteousness of Christ. For that is an apparent contradiction. Question. But may it not come again as a spirit of bondage to put me into my first fears for my good? Answer. The text saith the contrary. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear nor is God put to it for want of wisdom, to say and unsay, do and undo, or else he cannot do good. When we are sons, and have received the adoption of children, he doth not use to send the Spirit after that to tell us we are slaves and heirs of damnation. Also that we are without Christ, without the promise, without grace, and without God in the world. And yet yet this he must do, if it comes to us after we have received him as a spirit of adoption, and put us as a spirit of bondage in fears before. This ungodly fear wrought by the spirit of the devil. Question. But by what spirit is it, then, that I am brought again into fears, even into the fears of damnation, and so into bondage? Answer. By the spirit of the devil, who always labors to frustrate the faith. And hope and comfort of the godly. Question How doth that appear? Answer. Number one By the groundlessness of such fears. Number two By the unseasonableness of them. Number three By the effects of them. Number one By the groundlessness of such fears. The ground is removed, and for a grounded fear of damnation is this I am yet in my sins, in a state of nature, under the law without faith and so under the wrath of God. This, I say, is the ground of the fear of damnation, the true ground to fear it. But now the man that we are talking of is one that hath the ground of this fear taken away by the testimony and seal of the spirit of adoption. He is called, justified, and has, for the truth of this his condition, received the evidence of the spirit of adoption, and hath been thereby enabled to call God, Father, Father. Now he that hath received this has the ground of the fear of damnation taken from him. Therefore his fear, I say, being without ground, is false, and so no work of the Spirit of God. Number 2. By the unseasonableness of them. This Spirit always comes too late. It comes after the Spirit of adoption has come. Satan is always for being too soon or too late. If he would have if he would have men believe they are children, he would have them believe it while they are slaves, slaves to him and their lusts. If he would have them believe they are slaves when it is when they are sons and have received the spirit of adoption and the testimony by that of their sonship before And this evil is rooted even in his nature. He is a liar and the father of it, and his lies are not known to saints more than in this, that he labors always to contradict the work and order of the spirit of truth. That's John chapter 8. Number 3. It also appears by the effects of such fears. For there is a great deal of difference betwixt the natural effects of these fears, which are wrought indeed by the spirit of bondage, And those which are wrought by the spirit of the devil afterwards. The one, to wit, the fears that are wrought by the spirit of bondage, causeth us to confess the truth, to wit, that we are Christless, graceless, faithless, and so at present, that is, while he is so working in a sinful and damnable case. But the other, to wit, the spirit of the devil, when he comes, which is after the spirit of adoption has come, he causes us to make a lie. That is, to say, we are Christless, graceless, and faithless. Now this, I say, is holy, and in part of it, and in all part of it, a lie, and he is the father of it. Besides, the direct tendency of the fear that is the spirit of God, as the spirit of bondage worketh in the soul, is to cause us to come repenting home to God by Jesus Christ. But these latter fears tend directly to make a man he having first denied the work of God, as he will, if he falleth in with them, to run quite away from God, and from his grace to him in Christ, as will evidently appear if thou givest but a plain and honest answer to these questions following. This fear driveth a man from God. Question number one Do not these fears make thee question whether there ever was a work of grace wrought in thy soul? Answer. Yes, verily, that they do. Question number two. Do not these fears make thee question whether ever thy first fears were wrought by the Holy Spirit of God? Answer. Yes, verily, that they do. Question number three. Do not these fears make thee question whether ever thou hast had, indeed, any true comfort from the Word and Spirit of God? Answer. Yes, verily, that they do. Question number four. Dost thou not find intermixed with these fears plain assertions that thy first comforts were either from thy fancy or from the devil and a a fruit of his delusions? Answer. Yes, verily, that I do. Question number five. Do not these fears weaken thy heart in prayer? Answer. Yes, that they do. Question number six. Do not these fears keep thee back from laying hold of the promise of salvation by Jesus Christ? Answer: Yes. For I think if I were deceived before, if I were comforted by a spirit of delusion before, why may it not be so again? So I am afraid to take hold of the promise. Question number seven. Do not these fears tend to the hardening of thy heart and to the making of thee desperate? Answer: Yes, verily, that they do. Question number eight, do not these fears hinder thee from profiting in hearing or reading of the word? Answer, yes, verily, for still, whatever I hear or read, I think nothing that is good belongs to me. Question number nine, do not these fears tend to the stirring up of blasphemies in thy heart against God? Answer, yes, to the almost distracting of me. Question number ten. Do not these fears make thee sometimes think that it is in vain for thee to wait upon the Lord any longer? Answer. Yes, verily, and I have many times almost come to this conclusion, that I will read, pray, hear, company with God's people, or the like, no longer. Well, poor Christian, I am glad that thou hast so plainly answered me. But, prithee, Look back upon my answer. How much of God dost thou think is in these things? How much of his spirit and the grace of his word? Just none at all. For it cannot be that these things can be the true and natural effects of the workings of the spirit of God. No, not as a spirit of bondage. These are not his doings. Dost thou not see the very paw of the devil in them? Yea, in every one of thy ten confessions. Is there not palpably high wickedness in every one of the effects of this fear? I conclude then, as I began, that the fear that is the spirit of God, as a spirit of bondage, worketh is good and godly, not only because of the author, but also because of the ground and effects. But yet it can last no longer as such, as producing the aforesaid conclusion, than till the spirit as the spirit of adoption comes because that then the soul is manifestly taken out of the state and condition into which it had brought itself by nature and sin, and is put into Christ, and so by him into a state of life and blessedness by grace. Therefore, if first fears come again into thy soul, after that the spirit of adoption hath been with thee, know they come not from the Spirit of God, But apparently from the spirit of the devil.
1: Stillwater's Revival Books is now located at PuritanDownloads.com. It's your worldwide online Reformation home for the very best in free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, MP3s, and videos. For much more information on the Puritans and Reformers, including the best free and discounted classic and contemporary books,